0: There's no better way to get to know someone than staying awake for 24 hours straight while moderating sessions of the world's biggest virtual DevOps conference, All Day DevOps. It's one of the many times I've gotten to spend with Hassan Yashar over the years. We were hunkered down at an office in Tyson's Corner just outside of Washington, D.C., broadcasting throughout the day to an audience spanning the world, introducing some of the world's most talented minds before they shared their stories. Hassan and I met back in 2017 when we were both speaking at DevOps Connect at RSA. I was floored at the wealth of knowledge he had about DevSecOps. He's done the research, knows the practice, and has the mind of an architect. Hassan isn't only a speaker in the community, though. He's also an organizer of events such as DevSecOps Days Istanbul, DevSecOps Days Tokyo, and one very memorable panel I was on at an event hosted by the Software Engineering Institute at Carnegie Mellon University. Hassan placed me on a panel beside Brigadier General Greg Tuhill in front of an audience of military personnel to discuss DevSecOps. I'll never forget fielding a question with General Tuhill from a member of the Air Force. They asked, How do you fail fast with a ballistic missile? You better have some good simulators. When Hassan and I caught up again at the RSA conference this year, our conversation turned to the topic of software of materials and how they fit into the SDLC. And then Hassan started talking about how we could shift them extremely far left. Welcome back to The Hey everyone, welcome back to De Bomb. I'm here with Hassan Yashar. You're from Turkey. Tell me about Turkey and let's hear a bit about Hassan. I moved to the U.S. in 1996. My background is doubly
1: electrical engineer, but I really spent all my life since 1989 in the software engineering world. I moved to the U.S. to support the U.S. Air Force simulators on F-16s and other things. I had been working that space. Actually, I was working in Turkey in that F-16 simulator as well. I moved to the U.S. And after that, a lot of startup business, work in organizations. But I was working a lot of industrial arena and working for many other small companies for the DoD. I moved to the startup business and building up a Scanning solutions at uh, digitizations and running a IT shop, then I end up at the CMU, and they were looking for more uh, industry experience. People get into SCI and or the CMU and improve the state of practice. The main mission of SCI as part of Carnegie Mellon University, we would like to increase the state of practice with respect to software engineering. Our main focus, even though coming from a DoD perspective, we would like to increase or improve or find a way to improve the state of practice with engineering. I joined in 2010. Probably was a perfect timing for me to join SCI because I brought the engineering experience that I did for years and years. When I started, I said, I'm going to change something here in the CMU SCI, make it more modern way of building, which is exactly 2010. That's where the DevOps started. DevOps started in 2009, That so I'm going to bring that concept, make it more broad thinking as the software engineering and using modern techniques, modern components and modern implementations, specific for Department of Defense, but more about the highly regulated environment, the concept. That's how I joined SCI. Now I am leading 35 plus people who are focusing on DevOps, DevSecOps, Agile practices across the Department of Defense helping many units, many programs to improve the state of practice with software engineering. While I was working at CI, the concept was very new, a DevOps concept or DevSecOps concept. And CMU, all this forward thinking, CMU said, can we do some teaching on DevOps? In 2013, I was the first instructor, first professor in all around the world for DevOps courses into the university. But since that... And I have been teaching DevOps course in three times in a year, summer, fall and spring semesters, talking about the DevOps throughout the year. I have eight plus students for every session. It's just growing. When I talk about the DevOps, I'm talking about engineering practices of DevOps. So it's more about what it is, what needs to be done, what engineering mindset looks like, what are the requirements for DevOps? And what are the key elements of implementations, including
0: hardware and soft data? It's interesting how when we met, DevSecOps wasn't a thing. You created one of the first DevSecOps reference architectures. Where I'm working now, I'm seeing things written by you and written by myself. Eight years ago, defining what DevSecOps was. But you did one of those first diagrams. Are you putting S-bomb in there anywhere right now? Actually, as one well is part of it, if you look at all this graphic right now in the
1: community that we have been using, it looks like it's a two dimensional of representation of those DevOps or DevSecOps practices. But in reality, it's a three dimensional of thinking DevOps concept. When I say three dimensional, means we always have a kind of representation of the CI/CD practices, which is automations for infinite loop or CI/CD. But there are two other dimensions we have to think about. One is the collection of the data monitoring pieces this is very important, but there is a human element in picture, which is one vector will be a people, another vector will be in a collection, Another vector will be that automated part of the machines. So when we look at that angle, really we have to visualize that component, make it a three-dimensional of the DevSecOps, human and data collection pieces, which is very important right now, Data is becoming a very crucial driver for improving the state of practice in engineering. We did not spell clearly NASPAM as part of our drawing and write-up. We always mentioned the concept of infrastructure as a code. I clearly remember almost 10 years ago, I was specifically talking about the version or the libraries that we are writing the IEC script. So we had to think about the secure aspect of those IECs. Think about it and write those libraries and version and keep track every changes so indirectly we were referencing the SBOM concept as part of the devops concept as part of the infrastructure as they code, deployment scripts and make sure that we are following the version as part of our write-ups now we are talking about SBOM is basically creating the similar things we should know our dependencies we should know infrastructure we have to know where we are getting it from We'd have to keep track those information as monitored through the pipeline. We did not literally and say, here is the format that we would like to use. It was part of uh, it was part of the
0: build and part of the deployment process at the moment. So now that you have that diagram in place and we have that three-dimensional view, are you extracting data into an SBOM format? For observation, for monitoring. How did that plug into that DevSecOps architecture? Per, 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 perfect. Thank you. That's a
1: Great diving to the DevSecOps and S Because we have been seeing so many SBOM talk or implementation ideas. What I had been seeing so far, DJ, the SBOM seems more about creations, either uh, getting from a vendor as a file, either Cyclone DX or SPDX. These are typical format, as we know. Getting those files and storing repositories, it is good, but it should be dynamic because when you look at the concept of software that we are building, it just keeps increasing or keep changing. There's so much dynamic things moving around. There's so many moving parts. We basically keep changing the files frequently as continuously we do because we are building applications. You may say, how much are we changing for a that is true. We are not changing infrastructure a lot, but dependencies keep changing because sometimes we see the surface. We don't know what is happening behind the scene. What it really means in Esbom and DevSecOps, there are multiple gates or multiple phases throughout the DevSecOps pipeline. So what's pipeline means we have planning, which is the first phase of the software lifecycle. We have a design architect phases. We have development phases. We have test and build and all those phases. Actually, every phase has some interaction with the SBA. Every phase either generating the SBA or verifying, validating SBA. There are multiple things. What we should do: getting a file from the vendor's good, which is part of our product, which is where we start, which is a design SBA. If you look at this SISA website, there are but six types of S bomb mentioned. There's a design S bomb, there's a source S bomb, there's a build S bomb, analyze S bomb, deploy and a runtime
0: S bomb. That's why we call this Dub Bomb because it could be called Star Bomb. This is the first time I think our listeners might have heard about six different S bombs. You guys are following this trend and you're doing a lot of research. Do those actually give value to people along that SDLC? It's very important because we're always focusing
1: only on either build or a runtime as well. They're limited. Why is limited as build and runtime? Because runtime, you're executing the application. You need to know the dependencies. Yes, we have to. That's what everybody's talking. That's what we are generating. That's what people are asking. Hey, tell me your runtime. The runtime requirements exist every time when we talk about application. Yes, we should know. But what are the other s types, like design as an example? If I'm talking about the design s that means as soon as when I started thinking about the application or a system, the hardware and software, by the way, in the design phase, there is an opportunity at the moment that we are identifying our applications. It's very crucial. Why? If anybody's changing the design, if anybody's adding a new libraries, what they do, they are working for design or planning phases. Maybe we're acquiring a third party libraries. Maybe we're acquiring the solution. That's exactly happening during the design phase. That's what the design SBOM means. We're not creating a new type, but we're creating an SBOM file in the design phase. Let me do a specific example. Let's say I'm going to build up an AngularJS. An architect said, we are building up a sub services. That sub services will use the AngularJS and NodeJS. It's a solution, which is architectural design. If I know that solution at the moment, I can create a container version of my shell as my VM and automatically I can create my design espon well. at the moment as soon as I know the pop-up component that I'm going to build up. I can look at the licensing pieces and my as an organization, do I have a licensing right to use those libraries? So now once we create those design espon, well, we're going to carry out to the lifecycle, when we go into the source, we will see that we're gonna compare. Do we have the right design as fund that we generated? Are we following it? Is there any things that keep changing? Is there anything that keep updating? We can carry out the file
0: building and next one, next one on top of. That's really cool because if you have architects specify the components that they expect is in the software that is getting created. You can track architectural drift on exactly at that point. Yes, yes, we
1: can do that. Think about the containerization. We use container a lot, right? If I know my higher level requirements with architectural choice, I'm going to use AngularJS as an example. I can either at my base container images, which we are shifting left. This is the exact shift left or s to early phases in the planning phases, in the design phase for a design drift, and also we can see the licensing. How do we know
0: that we are following the right licensing? This is an educational opportunity for the developers too, especially around the licensing. Yeah. I had never thought about bringing an SBOM that far left, but it makes total sense because you're setting the stage for everything that happens to that product from then on. Exactly. So when we put in the
1: DevOps pipeline, Here's the beauty. If there is anything changing, if somebody is changing or architectural change or one of the developer may be looking for different libraries, we have a traceability of our architectural choice from the beginning for a licensing perspective, libraries, and developers maybe do something else. So we see that changes either developer will notify the right people, right team members why I'm changing, making more living documents of sbound. That means we are starting from our planning design phases. When we get into the source and build, we are carrying out that information, adding additional required or updates as we go. We can generate sbound in every phases. Once we have the architectural choice, once we know if the developer start to write the code, we can share the base images, we can share the base vm for testing that base image or base vm will have the libraries already in it we can generate those as, as developers started writing if i know my choice at the beginning i can build up artifactories but when i go to the build phase and artifactory will be part of my ci pipeline continuous integration i can pull those libraries for my artifactory who's going to create artifactory dj somebody has to tell the Are the factory, who is managing those, are the factory libraries? They have to say, here's my library I'm going to use. Who's going to clear those libraries? How are they going to learn libraries? They're going to learn the acquisition phase or the planning or design phase. That's what the design as means, that we can generate as early as possible. Another thing is important, I'm trying to connect an acquisition team handler and the developers. Sometimes there's no connection. Why there's no connection? Because we are acquiring a software. If you really get the approval process early in the acquisition, early in the acquiring the software, we can get s from the vendors. We can look at the dependents. We can look at the policies. We can look at the licensing. Now we can carry out our infrastructure because we know exactly what is happening when we acquire. We know all these components at the beginning, which is we are shifting as far left, day number one, by enforcing the policies, which goes back to the 3 dimensional thinking. I can enforce the policy at the beginning when I acquire the libraries, when I purchase it. Then I get the S-bomb, then I can put it in the environment, and I can make actionable of SPM as I go to the pipeline. Writing the code, building the code, and then compiling whatever the artifact looks like I'm creating. Maybe a jar file, maybe exe, maybe DLL, which is the build artifact. Combine all the dependencies and creating a new package. Then the next one is a runtime. Instead of just focusing only at runtime, it
0: is limited, in my opinion, because there's a lot of things we miss that. As developers start working with things, you're going to get more data. And then when they start releasing, you're going to get more data. What are you guys seeing from a data management problem with SBOM? Wait, that's a great
1: question. First of all, let's ask ourselves, what's the purpose of creating SBOM? The main purpose of trading or knowing SBOM be ready for any incident. Be ready for any vulnerabilities, which we learned our lesson from Log4j. Statistically, 75% of organizations, they were struggling to find out, do we have a Log4j or not? That's why they struggle. We are trying to be ready for any new vulnerabilities or anything that we are talking about, which is the main goal, our purpose. When we look at those data collections, yes, we are collecting a lot of data in terms of libraries. But the key point is, how can I do traceability from the beginning of those libraries that I'm going to use? There are many tools available to show that traceability. It's not a big problem, to be honest with you, to monitor. The big problem is creating the data at the moment that we are using it. The monitoring or connecting dots, it's much easier because we have all that existing technology. The key problem, we don't create those files as we are building the code. We are creating ad hoc as maybe the part of the build or maybe the part of the container, which is more than about the right side. What we have to do, what we saw already, which we created a pipeline example that we have been for many of the other organizations right now, think about S1 day number one, and then try to build up the changes as you go. And then collect the data, which data is about the libraries, package URL,
0: version, we have a traceability. It's interesting that you say that you generate when you need to, almost like on an ad hoc basis, because that's one of the things I noticed developing Bomber. I would tag releases and then I would generate an S bomb for the release, which is great, but just because we have the ability to generate bombs doesn't mean we need to do it all the time. Another a reason that we need to know
1: our application version, because if something happens on our application running in the production environment, if you do some incidence management or if you any type of response. As an engineer, as a software engineer, first thing I ask, what's the version? I'm asking the version of my application. But indeed, there is a version of my dependencies. How do you know that you have the right dependency version running in infrastructure matched with the application version? That's the reason we need to create those part as, as we are doing some activities in our pipeline, as we are building my code, as part of the CI, I have to create S-bomb right away. If I'm designing, I have to create S-bomb at the beginning, which is more documentation. I should create an s as depends on the applications goes to the process because that's what we are bringing application together with the dependencies and
0: artifacts together. What the industry needs is use cases or guidance documents of like how people are doing things. So I've never heard a lot of these comments, like having the ability to have a collection of documents that says, Hey, this is where you need to create it. And this is the armaments for this. I did that one presentation in the
1: Vancouver Linux foundations summit conference. I specifically tell the people, if I'm looking for a supplier name, as an example, who's going to create a supplier name for me, there is an ability to create those data fields, and if you remember, there was a minimum elements of SBOM that's recommended for MCSA. The minimum elements are the supplier name, component name, versions, and package URLs, and authors, about seven data fields required. But nobody's really talking about, how can I generate those files or the data elements? Where can I pull it? If you ask architects, it's too much work for me to do that. If you ask the developer, they can say too much work to do that. If you ask the tools, what the tool is going to do, the tool will generate those s probably most likely checked in or like using a GitLab or other type of tools, there's a plugins available to generate those as soon as we get in the code. It's too late for me, honestly, because we are missing the design, we are missing the licensing pieces. Why? Because we are not able to tell the developers or architect how can we generate those files as part of our living, our daily job. We need some sort of industry guidance. How can we generate those files as part of our code practice? We know the coding. We know how to write the code. We know how to design. But my opinion, we don't know how to generate
0: actionable s as we are writing the code. That portion seems missing to me. Hassan, tell me a little bit about what SEI is doing with DOD or the Department of Defense and s What are you doing there? The SBOM became a very crucial
1: component of the ATO process. ATO is the authority to operate. Every application, every system has to go to the approval process. The approval process is looking for the security controls from beginning of application until the deployment of application. the application. SBOM is mandated as part of the approval process, should be created, should be monitored, and should be inserted into the approval process. So that's kind of a relation with SBOM and DOD. What we are doing is an SCI, we are inserting SBOM practices and try to build up a reference architecture. What we do right now, creating an exemplary pipeline using the various tools for verification of the SBOM, creation of the SBOM, I'm looking for the vulnerabilities on each libraries, which I'm using the bummer. Thank you as a creator. It's all at the part of it to show the people how much we can use those files, generate automatically, look at those file content, look at the vulnerabilities. So basically, as an SCI, we are creating the best practices of actionable SBOM bom DevSecOps infrastructures. We are also creating, as the concept and process and ideas, how much we should do when we are practicing agile practices on planning or postmortems or sprint planning Creating some techniques, creating some ideas, creating some solutions so people can use and people taking an advantage of early indicated, early application of SBOM. So, I have been working as a team about the threat modeling. There's a direct connectiveness SBOM and threat modeling. If I know my threats for a platform specific, how do I know my threat? And SBOM will tell me my design components. I can look at potential threat of libraries. So I'm trying to connect it to that modeling and s as well as the platform pieces.
0: With the research that you're doing and the work you're doing with DoD, do you plan on publishing anything to the wider community? Our website is publicly available.
1: We always publish and we always write and get technical papers or a conference speaking or a writing research paper. As soon as we have a good data sets about SBOM, SBOM implementation, we will be publishing what our findings looks like, what's the reference architecture, we're going to publish those. As of now, we have a DevSecOps space, an agile space from SCI website, or people can search my name. A lot of publication has been done in that space
0: as well with DevSecOps and software supply chain too. Asad, one more question for you before we wrap up. Where do you see SBOMs going? What's your research telling you and your experience working with them?
1: What we see right now, we're just dealing about the tip of the iceberg, be honest with you, because we are talking very high level, but when you look at the reality of the complex systems, we have so much interdependencies of the libraries and components. We don't know how can we deal as such a mess, a connected or hierarchical libraries dependencies. It is very difficult to deal about it. Think about the very complex systems like CART as an example. How do we know that all the SBUN, that we know all the files, all the dependencies that we can control? It? It's getting very challenging. Another challenge that I have been saying, they don't want to share the SBUN. Why? How do you know that we're going to protect those files appropriately in infrastructures? Because technically, if you share how you build up your food, as an example, you're sharing every ingredients. But you're sharing your secret at the same time. And there is a licensing. There is a security component to protect those libraries and protect those files. I see people hesitant to share those files or in-depth details. They don't want to do that because it's a security problem right there. If I'm sharing my libraries, if I share how I build it, it's going to be a little bit challenging to
0: protect those components. So tying this back to DevSecOps, You and I have always talked about tools, technique, and talent, or people, right? And tools are coming. We're still working on technique. And we have to educate people and let them know how to do things.
1: Yes, especially our new generations of developers. I have to say, because I have been teaching at the CMU for years, most of my students, if I say, right, the project, they just Google it. Copy the Stack Overflow, building an application. They don't really, I'm not saying intentional, but they don't really care. They're just writing the component as quick as possible. It's about education. It's about learning. It's about creating the transparency of our code. Copying code from Stack Overflow somewhere else or getting code from a GitHub without knowing the details. It's a problem. It's a learning curve. They have to learn. They have to learn, they have to spin out. they have to understand what the complication means, what the issues are, what the problem they may face it. I always advise my students, like, if you're copying anything from somewhere else, take a note for yourself. Take a note. What the note means, it's a source of the spam. We're looking for the URL and package URL. We're looking for the vendors, right? It's in habit. It's a cultural change. It's about the people, they have to follow those policies and guidelines. We have to educate those people. That's the tough part, to be honest, because the demand is so huge. And sadly, developers are pressured on the time. They would like to get things done as quick as possible. They would like to really move the application as fast as possible. They may have enough time to think about it, to write the notes, to think about s to build up those requirements. It's just not happening because there's so much pressure from the business aspect of it. Writing the code seems lesser and lesser. It looks like we're going to write less code. We just did the configuration of the code.
0: This episode of The Bomb was created by me, DJ Shalene, with help from sound engineer Pokey Wan and executive producer Mark Miller. The show is recorded in Golden, Colorado, and is part of the Sourced Podcast Network. We use Captivate.fm as our distribution platform and Descript for spoken text editing. You can subscribe to Bomb on your favorite podcast platform. We're going to be releasing a new episode every Tuesday at 9 a.m. I'll see you next week as we continue to diffuse Debom.